All right, let's look at our scripture that can be found on the back of the bulletin. This is John 15, 1 through 4, my favorite chapter in all of scripture. So it can be found in the bulletin or on the screen as well. This is what it says. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The word of the Lord. You may be familiar with this phrase, gentlemen, this is a football. If you are a sports enthusiast, you know that that was uttered by Vince Lombardi, the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers. But some of you don't know the story behind that phrase. Uh, it was uttered in 1961 when Lombardi kicked off the first day of training camp for the 38 players on his Green Bay Packers football team. The prior season had ended in a heartbreaking loss to the Philadelphia Eagles after blowing a lead in the fourth quarter of the NFL championship game. So at the start of training camp, when the players came in, they expected to immediately begin where they left off and work on ways to advance their game and to learn fancy new ways to win the championship. But Lombardi had other goals. When they sat down, Lombardi held up the football and said, gentlemen, this is a football. He then had everyone open up their playbooks and begin on page one, where they began to learn about the fundamentals again, blocking and tackling, throwing and catching. That was clearly not what the uh, players had expected who were at the top of their game. But this hyper-focus on fundamentals allowed them to win the national uh, NFL championship that year, 37-0 against the New York Giants. Vince Lombardi would go on to win five NFL championships, and he never lost a playoff game again. <clears throat> now, why do I bring up Vince Lombardi and this quote? I bring it up because this passage is about fundamentals. Jesus is talking to his disciples uh, right before he's going to go to the cross, and he's sharing with them the fundamentals of the Christian faith. In other words, he's trying to say to them, this is what it's all about. See, he knows that the storm is going to come. He's going to be arrested. They're all going to be scattered. And there's going to be a tendency to forget instead of focusing on what it's all about. In John 15, I think John 15 is the best chapter in the Bible because it, it distills down to the core of what Christianity is all about. And so today we are going to focus on three fundamentals. And if you understand and hyper-focus on these and embrace these three fundamentals of what it means to be a Christian, it will have tremendous results in how you live your life. And these are the three fundamentals. Number one, Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is the true vine. Number two, 
our heavenly father is the vine dresser. And finally, number three, you are clean in Christ. Jesus is the true vine. Our father is the vine dresser. And you are clean in Christ. So let's begin with fundamental number one. Jesus is the true vine. Little background to this passage. They have just left the upper room where they have had the last supper. Jesus has shared with them that he is going to the cross, that they don't understand it. That Jesus is going to send to them the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit, Jesus and the Father are going to dwell in them forever. And then we see at the end of chapter 14, it says, come now, let us leave. So they have left the upper room. They are heading to the Garden of Gethsemane, and they are crossing the Kidron Valley. And my guess is that they come upon a vineyard as they're moving through the land there to get to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus stops them. And he wants to communicate to them in such a way that they would understand who Jesus is and what this is all about. And so he makes this statement, I am the true vine. Now we need to understand what they would think of that statement before we understand what that statement means. And they've heard the phrase about a people being a vine. They would have thought about the scriptures. They would have thought about the passage that we just read in the praying the scriptures, how Israel was called the vine that Jesus brought out of Egypt and that he planted in Canaan land. Remember, Jesus took a people and he called them his people, that he would be their God and they would be his people. And he would dwell with them, watch over them, protect them, and bless them. They would be his vine. And they had a responsibility to bear fruit, if you will, in keeping with repentance as the people of God. They were to show to, uh, to God to the world and to call the nations back to God. There are multiple places in the Old Testament where the concept of a vine is mentioned as Israel. And every time it's mentioned, it's also mentioned that the vine fails to produce good fruit. And there is a corresponding judgment on the nation of Israel. Here's an example in Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. It says, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines and looked for it to yield grapes. But it only yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there that I could have done for my vineyard that I have not done? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it only yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured and I will break down its wall. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice and behold bloodshed for righteousness, but behold an outcry. What God was saying in this passage of Isaiah is Israel, I, I took you and I blessed you and I planted you. But the 
You didn't bear the fruit that you were supposed to. I looked to you for righteousness, but behold, there was only bloodshed, uh, justice, and there was only an outcry. So when Jesus says to the disciples, I am the true vine, what Jesus is saying is that God has placed his favor, his blessing, his mission on me. Not on Israel, not on anything else. In order to receive the presence of God and the favor of God, to rightly be related to God, you must come to me, for I am the true vine. This is the last of the I am statements in the book of John. There's seven of them. And I think that this is the last I am statement because it sums up all of the other ones. Think of what Jesus has been saying through the book of John. I am the bread of life. In other words, I am the one who brings satisfaction to your soul. I am the light of the world. I am the one who uh, gives you the knowledge and the understanding, who makes you rightly relate to God. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the one who leads you to the heavenly father. What Jesus is saying is all of these things are bound up in me because I am the true vine. But Jesus is saying so much more. It's interesting that he uses this analogy, this picture of a vine. And you are the branches. What Jesus is communicating is this is the nature of the relationship, believers in Christ, that you are to have with me. It's supposed to be intimate and personal and organic. See, when Jesus planted the vine of Israel, there was a relationship, right? God would dwell with his people. But there was a temple in which God placed himself. It wasn't an intimate and personal relationship. And there was a priest, the high priest, who could go into the presence of God and only once a year. And never could he go in without blood because they were a sinful people. But Jesus is saying that I am the true vine. There's no need anymore for an intermediary. There's no need for a temple anymore. No need for a priest. No need for blood of sacrifice for I am the sacrifice. Jesus is saying that my relationship with you will be so close, you and me and my Father, that I will be in you and you will be in me. Jesus also used the illustration of being a vine to show that he is life. I mean, imagine they're standing here before this grapevine and they're seeing the fruit and they're seeing life. There were two other I am statements that Jesus made. I am the resurrection and the life. And I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is saying, I am the one who will bring life to your souls. I appreciate Ezekiel 37, 13 that says this. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, 
and I will place you in your own land. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. See, when Israel was the vine, what is it that God gave them? He didn't give them the spirit. He didn't give them life. He gave them the law. These are the standards that you are to obey. This is how you obey me. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm going to give you so much more than the law. I'm going to give you life itself, my Holy Spirit. Not only will you know how to obey me, but I will give you the power to obey me. See, Jesus is saying, I am the vine and you are the branches so that you may bear fruit. There's a purpose that comes out of this relationship that we are to have to one another. And what kind of fruit is Jesus expecting from us? Well, you see, what the branches produce is based on the identity and the characteristics of the vine which is planted. Let's say you wanted to produce Chardonnay wine. If you wanted to produce Chardonnay wine, you would get Chardonnay vines, right? The Chardonnay grape is a green-skinned grape variety that originated in Burgundy in the wine region of eastern France. If you plant Chardonnay vines, you will get Chardonnay grapes, which are green. Imagine that you planted uh, a vine and grapes started to come out and they were red and not green, and you were trying to produce Chardonnay wine. You would know that a mistake had been made, that they had sent you Pinot uh, vines, and they, it was producing Pinot grapes. See, Jesus is saying in this analogy, because I am the vine and you are the branches in me, the kind of fruit you will produce is the character of Jesus himself. Remember, Jesus just a chapter ago said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. What Jesus is saying is that the fruit that you will bear, love, compassion, faith, and obedience, will be like the characteristics of me, because I am the true vine. I am where you go, disciples, to become who you were meant to be. I am the true vine. I was recently diagnosed with sleep apnea. I don't know if anyone else has sleep apnea. Uh, it's not a great thing. I would, I would sleep and I would wake up and I'd be just as tired, if not more so, when I went to bed. And this went on for years and years and years. And finally, my wife convinced me, you've got to go to the sleep doctor and figure this out. And it turns out that I have severe sleep apnea. 32, I don't know if you know what sleep apnea is, but essentially when you fall asleep, your airway relaxes. And so it actually shuts so that air cannot get through. It's like somebody's choking you all throughout the night. And in fact, 32 times an hour, my airway was closing and I was choking 
The very thing which I needed, which was air and oxygen, I was not receiving. And so what do they do? They get you this thing called a CPAP machine, and you've seen it. It's this device, and it kind of sits on the side here, and you plug this, this hose into it, and what it does is it shoots a stream of pressurized air through the hose into this mask that you wear like this. And this pressurized air pushes hard enough that it actually opens up the airway and it gets you the oxygen that you desperately need. And through this device, I went from 32 times an hour to four times an hour. I was finally getting that which I need. See, what Jesus is saying by saying, I am the true vine, is saying, I have what you need. What you need is my presence, my spirit, my power, my presence. And what you need to do is abide in me. That this is the hose that you need that gets you what you are looking for. See, Christianity is not simply what I believe. It's how I live. And so what Jesus is saying to us is, this is a football. I am the true vine. If you are a Christian, you have been joined to Christ. Your relationship is so close and intimate and personal with him. Do you know that? Do you understand that? And if so, are you drawing your life from him? For many, many Christians, we feel powerless. We feel far from Christ. We don't experience the vitality that we read about, that we are supposed to receive from Christ. Why is that? The reason probably is that Jesus is not our true vine. My true vine is my possessions. So we hook this hose up to the things that we have, and we try to draw life from it, but there is no life. Or my true vine is myself and my abilities. And so we look to ourselves to provide life, but we don't have life. The true vine is the world outside, out there, all that the world has to offer. And so we plug into the world, pleading for it to give us what we need. What Jesus is saying, and I am saying to you, is to stop looking in the wrong places. When we recognize who he is, we can begin to draw our life from him, to put our faith in him, because Jesus is the true vine. This brings me to my second point, that God the Father is our vine dresser. You know, the most important person in the vineyard, it's not the owner, it's not the vintner, it's not anyone in the 
There's a whole host of people that do a variety of different things in a vineyard, but the most important person in a vineyard is the vine dresser, the one who tends and prunes the vine. Because the decisions he makes or she makes determine the fruitfulness of the vines. The vine dresser is the one with the shears. He's the one who plants the vines and tends the branches. You see, vines need constant care because the environment is always changing. There's too much sun or there's too little sun. Too much rain, too little rain. There's pests, there's wind. Every single branch requires personal attention. You may have a 50-acre vineyard, and every single branch requires personal attention. They have not created a machine that can do this because there are just too many factors. See, what you need to understand is that grapes are more than an annual crop. The vine dresser's grapevines remain with him for decades. And he comes to know each one in a personal way, much like a shepherd with his sheep. He knows how the vine is faring from year to year and which ones are more productive or vigorous than others. He knows what they respond to and what special care each one needs. And so the vine dresser cares for each branch and nurtures it, pruning it the appropriate amount at the appropriate time, fertilizing it, lifting its branches from the ground, propping them or tying them to the trellis, and taking measures to protect them from insects and disease. It's a 24-7, 365-day-a-year job. And Jesus is saying... Your heavenly father is doing this with each of you every single day. Jesus is saying the reason that you are in me, that you are branches in me, is because the vine dresser has first chosen you and grafted you into me. It's not a mistake. It's not random that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You were selected, chosen, and placed. Jesus said in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. You have been grafted into Christ. And I don't know if you know much about grafting. It's a horticultural technique where the tissues of two different plants are joined together to continue their growth together. And in fact, every single glass of wine that you drink comes from a grafted vine. I don't know if you knew that or not. Every single glass of drink. Well, there are a couple, maybe. If you've drank from Duplin, there are a couple of 99.99%. Of, uh, and that's because all of the wines that we drink come from European grapes. Uh, Chardonnay, Merlot, Pinot, Zinfandel. Those grapevines originated in the uh, Caucasus region of Europe. That's Azerbaijan and uh, Georgia and that whole area. The American grapevines do not make good wine. 
They're used for jams and jellies and things like that. And so when the Spanish brought over the original grape vines, the European vines, and planted them in the ground, none of them lived. None of them have ever lived. And the reason they don't live is because there is something in North American soil. There's a, a disease in North American soil that will kill all wine vines. And so what they discovered is in order to make uh, wine vines live in America, what they do is they take a stock, a root stock of a North American grapevine and they graft the wine vine right into it, right at the base. And because the North American vine is resistant to the disease in the ground. And so it will stop the disease from coming up through it and entering into the European vine and going and, and killing everything. And what's amazing is those European grapevines still retain their character and their flavor, even in the midst of that. Why am I going into all of this? It's to tell you that our position in Jesus Christ is secure because we have been grafted into Christ by God the Father himself. Without Christ, we would die. We would succumb to our sin. So Jesus We've been grafted into Christ. Jesus continues on in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, meaning he cuts off. And why does he do that? Well, because they're not bearing fruit. I used to read this passage and be terrified. Does this mean if I'm not bearing fruit that Christ is going to cut me off? In other words, can I be a Christian and lose my salvation if I don't bear fruit? No, that's not what he's saying. Bearing fruit does not mean living a perfect life. The Bible is clear. Christians continue to sin. But what it does mean is that the character of our life is increasingly reflecting Jesus, albeit imperfectly. You see, as a Christian, the sign of being joined to Christ is bearing fruit. And this verse is insisting to us that there are no Christians without some measure of fruit. Fruitfulness is an infallible mark of true Christianity, and the alternative is deadwood. Well, Jesus says, every branch in me that bears no fruit, how can that be? We need to understand what he's talking about when he's talking about in me. Remember, Judas Iscariot has just departed to betray Christ. And they have seen Judas. They believe that he was one of the followers of Christ, right? He sure appeared to be in Christ, if you will. But the fruit of his life has indicated otherwise. What he's saying is every branch that appears to be in me or in me that bears no fruit, he cuts off. It's only those who are truly joined to Christ. But those who are truly joined to Christ will bear fruit. Jesus goes on. 
And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. He prunes or trims every branch that does bear fruit. No fruit-bearing branch is exempt. That means if you are a Christian, there will be pruning in your life. Now, the pruning process is somewhat painful. It involves clipping off extraneous shoots on the branch because they're taking energy from the buds that produce the clusters of grapes. It involves cutting off dead wood that is not productive for the branch. They, it could invite disease. It involves cutting off spare uh, shoots that might impede the uh, grapes from receiving the sun that they so desperately need, or it'll make the branch too heavy so that it will drop to the ground. And we see that the purpose of the pruning is not simply to injure the branch, but it's to make more fruit. Not only quantity, but also quality. Now, why is this so important? Why is Jesus telling us this? Why is this a fundamental? Because we need to understand that our Heavenly Father is growing his children, that he has a purpose in our life to grow us into the image of Christ. You know, there are many varieties of Chardonnay when you walk into the grocery store, right? But they all use the Chardonnay grape. Our Father is not turning us into automatons, robots who look all the same but our own specific brand or type or flavor of Chardonnay wine. And he's doing it through a process that often seems very, very painful to us. See, when we come to faith, there still is so much in us that is earthly. There's a tendency and desires in us to live independent lives, to live for self, to not depend on the true vine. And there's the world and there's the flesh and there's the devil that come against us, seek to choke off our fruitfulness. But our heavenly father has a plan and a purpose in each one of our lives. And he uses these pruning tools to make us into that image. And those tools, my friends, are trials, loss, sickness, and suffering. But we can take solace because every single thing that's going on in our life is some measure of God's pruning process to remove what is dead in us and to encourage our growth in Christ-likeness. He never stops, our Heavenly Father. Nothing is wasted. I appreciate Romans 5, 2 through 4 that says, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance character. 
and character, hope. What is our Heavenly Father's motivation for doing us, doing this to us? It's love. He wants to grow us into the fullness of who we were intended to be, just like a parent and his children. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, your life is about to be turned upside down. But understand, God is always in control. I think of William Hiting Borden, who's famous for three phrases that he wrote in his Bible. I don't know if you're familiar with this uh, guy, Borden. He was the heir to the Borden family fortune, the dairy family, the Bordens. And, early, and in the early 1900s, 16-year-old Borden graduated from a Chicago high school. And before he began his Ivy League education, his parents sent him on a trip around the world as his graduation present. Early in Borden's life, he had come to Christ through the ministry of D.L. Moody. And while on this trip around the world, something happened that no one expected. As Borden traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, he felt a growing burden for the world's hurting people. And he had to make a decision on what he was going to do in his future. He wrote a letter to his parents and informed them he wanted to spend the remainder of his life being a missionary. Upon hearing the news, one of his friends remarked that he would be throwing his life away. And after he renounced his fortune to go into missions, he wrote the words in his Bible, no reserves. At a later date, his father, who had told him he would always have a job in the company, changed his mind and told him that he would never let him work in the company again. What a blow this must have been to Borden to hear these words that came from his father, who he loved. Borden again went to his Bible, and he wrote the words, No Retreat. Borden went on, and he studied, and he graduated from seminary. And when he finished his education, he boarded a ship for China. But first, due to his passion to reach the Muslim people, he went to Egypt to learn the Arabic language. And while he was in Egypt, 25-year-old Borden contracted spinal meningitis. Within a month, he was dead. I wonder what he thought about that last month as he lay dying. Was this all a waste? This passion, the desire, this heart, all of the pain that he went through? No, Borden was comforted in some way, even in the midst of his suffering. And he wrote one more thing in his Bible before he died. No regrets. No reserves. No retreat. No regrets. Borden lived a hard life. And there was much pruning. But this pruning shaped him into the character of Christ. And his life continues to bear fruit. For thousands of people have heard his story and have been encouraged in their missionary call. God uses all of our sorrows. You see, my friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, your heavenly father is the vine dresser. He's grafted you in 
He's watching over you. And he knows you intimately. There is a purpose for your life. It's not random. Jesus is God the Father is bringing Christ-likeness into your life. Every single cut, every single sorrow, every single pain has purpose. And so take comfort. Do you suffer from physical sickness? It's leading you to more dependence on Christ, more patience in his plan, more hope in his future. Have you lost someone dear to you? It's so that you would know that Jesus is enough. That you would be sustained by Christ. That you would have love to help others. We all have day-to-day frustrations and trials. And there are two ways that I can look at my life. Life is a series of frustrations and pains, and they're all random and useless. Or God is always working on me. And I want you to know that one day, there will be no more pruning. The work will be finished. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For our Heavenly Father is taking care of us. Two fundamentals. Jesus is the true vine. Our Father is the vine dresser. The third is that you are already clean. And there's no way that I'm going to be able to go through this in the time that we have. So we are going to pick it up next uh, week as we talk about this third fundamental. Let me pray. Oh God, what momentous truths. Jesus, that you are our true vine, the source of all blessedness in life. Let us stick our foes into you that we may experience all the refreshment, all the love, all the forgiveness that we need. And God, give us perspective. Father, as you uh, prune us and shape us more into your likeness, uh, Lord, let us take comfort that you are doing a good work in us and will be faithful to complete it. And so we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.